Uh, we are continuing our series on discipleship, and within this series on discipleship, we're continuing our series on dying to the self uh, as, as the crucial ingredient in, in spiritual formation. Uh, we've been talking about how when you die to yourself, when you crucify the self, the false self, the flesh self, how it changes your perspective on, on everything. And we've discussed how it changes your perspective on, the phys- on physical life, how it changes your perspective on death, how it changes your perspective on security. And last week we talked about how it changes your perspective on individuality. Uh, this morning I want to talk about how it changes your perspective not on you, but on others. How, how you view others. And let me, so you could title this sermon, How the Dead View Others. Uh, when you've crucified yourself, you have a very different view of others. And let me read two passages here. It says in Revelations 22, There will be no more night, they need no light, or lamp, or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then in Matthew 13, Jesus said, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So you have God as the sun who lights everything, but also those who are part of the kingdom of God are in their own rights sons. Think about that. And I want to pray for the message here. Could I get some intercessors around the auditorium to keep the message covered in prayer? I need some people in the back uh, to keep this message covered in prayer. You can listen, but just sprinkle it in with prayer. All right, thank you. Father, uh, thank you for being present here in a sweet and powerful way. We know, Lord, that there is nothing that happens that is, is of any significance unless your spirit is present in it and working through it. We have no time at all for a religious speech. We have no interest in building a religious society and doing a religious event. Lord, we want this to be about the kingdom. And we don't make it about the kingdom you do, and so we're just inviting you, asking you, imploring you to take whatever words come out of my mouth, whether they be smooth or stumbling, but God, infuse it with your authority to do what only you can do, and that is to change us to be the radical people that you've called us to be, to escape the matrix of our culture, the lies of our culture, and be the countercultural revolutionary people, walking in the light of your life and love, be all that you called us to be, all that you know we can be. Lord, let that happen. Let this message be a part of moving us forward in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, you see uh, from these two passages, and we could have used a number of other passages that would have suggested the same thing. What you see is that there's, there's no competition between God being the light of the kingdom of God and the citizens of the kingdom of God being light in the kingdom of God. There's no competition. As we said last week, the way God set the thing up is that he intends us to shine. But he intends us to shine not by generating our own light, by, but by reflecting, refracting like a prism the, the multifaceted, manifold, incomprehensible beauty of the light that God is. Every individual, the most precious thing about them is that they're an individual. You are you and not me. You are you and not the person sitting next to you or anyone else on the planet. God, God made you perfectly unique. And that's, that, that, that's the, 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 the most 
precious thing about you, the most driving need in your life is to feel worth and value and significance as being the individual that you are. When, the, when little children say, as they often say, uh, sometimes driving you crazy saying, look at me, 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 uh, that's not a carnal fallen thing, I don't believe. It is, uh, it is reflecting part of their imago Dei, the image of God. They were made to shine. They were made to display God's creativity and wisdom and love in a unique way. Now, the way we go about trying to meet that need in the fallen world is often very carnal, but that we have that need is not carnal. We're meant to shine. We're meant to be, as Jesus says, uh, uh, like stars. We're supposed to shine like the sun. But in the kingdom of God, the way that we do that is not by being uh, a source of light for ourselves, but by being a reflection of light. We are prisms that reflect in our own unique way, no two are alike, the beauty of, of uh, the light of God's love. And in the kingdom of God, it's, as I shared last week, I had kind of had a vision of this. It, it's like a, a society, an emerald city that is composed of a society of all these prisms. God's light is shining on all of us. He is the only light that there is. But we all reflect that light in a unique, beautiful way and in, in creating a, a, a harmony of light, as it were, of beauty, of, of, of color. And we're all rejoicing in the light and worshiping the light, the source of all light, but we're also awed by the beautiful way each of us individually reflect it. And those two things aren't in competition. This really fulfills, I believe, the central command that Jesus gave us. It it sums up everything that the Word of God is about. It sums up God's purpose for creation when Jesus says in Matthew 23, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is, as it were, a beautiful triune cycle there. In, 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 God's, in God's ideal, and this is what we're striving for in the kingdom of God, we receive perfectly the love of God. And because we receive the perfect love of God, we love God back, we love ourselves, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And all of that is part of one movement. Part of my loving God is loving the way he's made me. Part of my loving God is loving the way he's, ma- he's made you. So I love God, love myself, love my neighbor as myself, and it's all part of one thing. It's one movement. It's a, it, it's a triune cycle, and in that way, the triune God is, is mirrored, is refracted throughout creation. And that's the goal of everything. There's no competition there whatsoever. In fact, it's all part of one thing. In fact, John says that it's impossible to love God and hate your neighbor. You just, there's an inconsistency there. To love God is to love what God loves. It's all part of one thing. Competition enters into the scene with the fall. In fact, you could define the fall as the entrance of competition, where you think that uh, for you to shine, someone else can't shine. Uh, we, we, instead of defining ourselves in God and in relationship with one another, we define ourselves over and against God and over and against one another. We cut ourselves off from the source of light. And so now we try to generate our own light. Uh, we're, 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 we're scavenging for food, trying to get a morsel of worth and significance, the very worth that God wants to give us for free. And because there's only so much to go around, we compete with one another for that. The essence of the fall is this, this competition where we're defined over and against God and each other rather than in relationship with God and, and, and one another. You see this right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The first lie that was ever told was about competition. Uh, the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3, Did God say that you shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, why did he ask that? Or, or why, why did he, he give that command? And the serpent said, It's because God's a competitor. 
He knows that when you eat of that tree, that you will be like him. Your eyes will be opened, and, and you'll be smart like him, knowing good and evil. And, and he wants to, you know, have pride of place in that singular position. He doesn't want you to be up there with him. So that's why he forbid you to eat that tree. So Eve, if you're going to be an individual, if you're going to really actualize yourself, if you're going to be all that you can be, well, don't do it by trusting God and being in relationship with God and depending on God. You've got to do it at war with God, in competition with God. Go out and eat that tree. Eat the fruit of that tree. And so competition is, is introduced into the creation. And as soon as we declare uh, that we're competitors with God, we become competitors with one another. And you see this also in the Genesis narrative. First thing that happens when God shows up is Adam and Eve start competing with one another about who's the most blameworthy, uh, who's more innocent here. And so they start blaming one another. They, they start trying to pass the buck. Then later on, God is given a woeful declaration about the implications of this fall uh, for creation. And he says uh, about marriage in, in verse 16 of chapter 3. He says this, uh, Eve, you, you, you shall desire your husband, but he shall lord over you. And what the Lord is saying there, this isn't a prescription for how marriage is supposed to be, though a lot of people seem to take it like that. But it's a woeful declaration of how tragic marriages are going to be because of the fall. Whereas God had this beautiful one flesh relationship where the husband and wife would be on equal footing, loving one another, respecting one another, even coming underneath one another. Read Ephesians 5, that's how it's supposed to be. Being Christ towards one another. Instead of that, there's this competition game where you're going to be trying to gain control over one another. The word desire there, when, when, when the Lord says, Eve, you shall desire your husband, means to manipulate, to try to control, to try to connive. And the word for lord over means literally to tyrannize. And so there's this warfare that's been uh, uh, introduced into the marriage. The beautiful one flesh relationship has blown apart. And historically, men tend to be stronger and tend to be able to shout louder, so they tend to win. But see, competition gets introduced into the creation. You see it throughout the rest of the genitive, uh, uh, Genesis uh, narrative as well. Uh, Cain and Abel, they bring sacrifices to the Lord, and then there's a competition about whose sacrifice is best, and Cain ends up killing Abel. And you read into Genesis chapter 4, and you find people beginning to make a name for themselves. They're, they're carving out their own niche. They're, they're, they're establishing their own individuality. They're trying to shine at the expense of others. It's a competition zone. So Jubal was the creator of great music, and Lamech was the, the great warrior, and, and, and people are making a name for themselves, and that's how it is in the fallen creation. Everybody's scavenging for a morsel of food, uh, uh, trying to get a little bit of worth, a little bit of value, saying, look at me over and against other people. And so for some of us, the lie that we appropriated that's with this competition thing is that for me to be the unique me that I am, I've got to be the prettiest, or I've got to be the smartest, or I've got to be the wisest, I've got to be the most religious, I've got to be the baddest, I've got to have the biggest house, got to have the biggest car, I, I, I've, I've got to be the most successful, I've got to be this, I've got to be that, all in competition with others. And it's all, it's all about the fall. That is why, incidentally, why the tree that started the whole thing is described as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we enter into the fall, we always eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means this. We're always sizing things up. We're always evaluating. This is what you do when you're in competition. What's good for me? What's bad for me? Uh, we have, uh, uh, if you will, a referee in our head, a referee of self-interest. Always kind of calling the shots in this competition game in terms of what's in it for me. And, and so we're always critiquing, we're always judging, we're always accusing, we're always assessing, we're always trying to uh, uh, better our lot at the expense of others. That's, that's the, the nature of the fallen world. Competition in the fallen world. All of this 
all of this, Paul describes as the flesh. The flesh is that way of doing life where you are a black hole in the center of the universe. Everything revolves around you, and you're trying to get life on your own. The life that God wants to give you for free, you're trying to do it on your own by how you look, by what you achieve, and so on and so on. That is the flesh. It's, it's life in the competition zone. And where you have the flesh, where you have people living in that competition zone, where you have people walking around with the referee of their own self-interest in their heads, you're going to have what Paul calls the works of the flesh. They're inevitable. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. There's no secret about these things. Here's what they are. Enmities, which just means hatred. Strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels dissensions, factions, envy. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And therefore the works of the flesh dissipate. They eventually disappear. But where you have the flesh, you'll have the works of the flesh. Well, why? Why is there this envy, strife, and jealousy and all of that? And the answer is because you're in competition. And whenever you're, this is what competition looks like. There's strife, there's envy, there's jealousy. When you're losing, it's like, no, I, and, and when, when you define yourself over and against other people, and when you define yourself over and against God, these things have got to be there. You can't help it. It's inevitable. It's just, it's, it's just part of the game. You can try to dress it up with religion. You can try to be a little bit more moral and a little bit more nice and try to suppress the works of the flesh. But, but, but you can't get rid of them if you're in the flesh, if you're in the competition game, if you're walking around with a referee of self-interest in your head. You're going to have anger. You're going to have hatred. You're going to have strife. You're going to have factions. You're going to have dissensions. They've got to be there. And you can have all the laws in the world that say you shouldn't do that, stop doing that. You, you know, if, if you were a real good person, you wouldn't have that. But it won't do any good. It may make you a better hider of those things, but the things will still be present. You can't help it. I remember when I was in uh, ninth grade, I, I, I matured kind of fast. So I was a better athlete than other people, generally speaking, though never as good as my brother as I shared last week. Uh, I quit baseball because he was a superstar in baseball and I could never measure up with that. So I went over to track and became a runner. Found out I was pretty good as a runner. And I went two years, ladies and gentlemen, undefeated almost uh, in the eighth and ninth grade. That's right, junior high champion. No one could beat Greg Boyd in the half mile and the mile. I, I just set school records, man. I was, I was cruising until the last race of my uh, ninth grade career. I'd always raced against this guy named Marty... Schneckenberger or something like that. I can never pronounce his name. And uh, um, uh, he, he had an incredible kick. Oh, he could just finish. He really was fast. But I could always get far enough ahead of him so he could never quite catch me. I was never fast. I just had a lot of stamina. So I'd go out, you know, like I was like a nutcase and run everyone in the ground and hope that I was the last one standing. So that was my strategy. And I'd raced in two years against him a number of times, but I always beat him because uh, he could never quite catch me. At the end. But this last race, the championship race, the most important race, we went out. And this time, he stuck to me, uh, my tail, like white on rice. He was just, he wouldn't give me any space. I could hear him breathing down my back. So I went faster and faster and faster because I knew I had to get some space here. And he would not let me go for anything. And we get to the last 200 yards of the race, and this guy blows past me, uh, just like, like I was standing still, and f- creams me. And then breaks the all-school records by like, eight seconds, and then the crowds go crazy, and everyone comes around him, oh, what a hero, what a champion, no one's remembering all the other times I beat him, they don't matter, no, no, it's just all Marty, 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 Marty. 
All the cute girls in the stands are, oh, Marty, Marty, Marty. I'm like, what about me? And I was so full of envy, so full of jealousy, so full of strife, just, God, I was just, I was just, yeah. Of course, I had to act like I wasn't. You know, in ninth grade, you're cool. So it's like, yeah, it's just a race. <laughs> Good job. Doesn't mean a thing to me. But inside, you see, I'm running for my life, literally. This is, I shared last week, the competition game that meant something in my family was athletic achievement. I thought I finally carved out a niche, and here I got creamed. So my life is at stake, and when your life is at stake, you're going to have envy, you're going to have strife. You can try not to, you probably do try not to, but it won't do a bit of good. Where the works of the flesh, where if you're living in the flesh, the works of the flesh are going to be there. It can't help it. We spend so much time trying to dress it up and suppress it and to hide it and pretend like it's not there and come up with rules that will prevent it. But if you're in the flesh, if you've got the referee in your head, if you're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if your life is at stake and you're trying to get worth by how you can manipulate the environment around you, you're going to have the works of the flesh, the envy, the strife, the jealousy. The only solution to uh, getting rid of the works of the flesh, the only solution is to kill the flesh. It's to crucify that old self. It's to do what Paul says here when he says those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions, with his desires, with his competition, with his striving. You you, you crucify it. You kill it. You get rid of it. You opt out of the competition game. Just be done with the whole thing. Find a whole new way of life by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Get that life that is real life. Get that joy that is real joy and you don't need the competition game any longer. Amen? Amen. It's the only solution. Otherwise, you're just tweaking the system, just trying to dress it up a little bit. And when you die, when, when you crucify yourself and you just opt out of that game, you find, you find that worth that doesn't depend on the competition, and you begin to see how silly the competition really is, how the, the emptiness, the futility, the vacuousness of that whole competition game. You wonder how you ever got so involved in it. I look back now on my, that, that ninth grade race, and it means absolutely nothing to me. It's a, it's a silly, ju- juvenile thing. It's like, how could I have ever been so bent out of shape over a stupid race? It, it doesn't matter who can run faster. It doesn't matter. Because, see, I've got a new frame of reference. I've got a new frame of reference. As an adult, I look back, and it means nothing. At the time, it meant everything. It was life itself. And now it's like, what was I thinking? So also... When you crucify the flesh self, that false self, the competition self, when you crucify that self, you begin to look at this world and and the competition stuff and the ways of getting life and the ways of feeling important and the ways of defending yourself and and worrying about what people think and worrying about this and that. You look at that whole thing and it seems profoundly stupid. Amen? It seems profoundly empty. Uh, You know, uh, uh, who cares who can run faster? I've got Christ Jesus. Uh, it, really, who, who cares who's a little bit more religious or less religious? Uh, I've got Christ Jesus, and that's not about religion. Why would I even worry about that? Who cares who's a little higher up on the moral competition game or a little bit lower on the moral competition game? I've got Christ Jesus. We're all sinners saved by grace. Uh, being a little ahead or a little behind really isn't the issue. I don't have time for that. I've got Christ Jesus. You just died to that whole game. Who cares who's got a bigger house, who's got a nicer car, who wears nicer clothes? Who cares who's a little prettier, a little smarter, a little this, a little that? I've got Christ Jesus. And when you've got Christ Jesus, you've got life. And you don't need that competition game. It's a silly thing. It's a stupid game. In all of its variety, you get a new frame of reference on everything. And that new frame of reference drastically changes how you view and how you interact with other people. When you die to yourself and therefore walk in love, 
And these aren't two different things. To die to yourself, when you die, to the extent that you crucify that false self, now you've gotten rid of the thing that was keeping the light from shining through you as the beautiful prism that you were meant to be. The only thing that keeps that from happening is this competing self. When you crucify that, now as a fruit of the Spirit, as a natural outgrowth of the Spirit, you begin to shine in a different way. And here's what shining looks like. When you crucify the old self and walk in love, you no longer evaluate people or see them in terms of the competition game. You view them and see them in terms of Calvary. You're starting to get into that triune cycle where you're receiving the love of God, you're loving God, and therefore you're loving yourself, and therefore you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and that's the only thing that matters. You begin to see the world in, in, in those terms. When you begin to walk in that, you know as obvious as anything that this is what life is all about. You are living. It, it, you are walking in joy. You are walking in peace. When you define God, yourself, and others in terms of Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross of Calvary, when those are the spectacles you're wearing rather, rather than this referee of self-interest, it frees you to be who God created you to be. And now, now everything is defined in terms of the love of God. That's the kingdom of God. You no longer uh, evaluate them in terms of the religious competition game. That, that, that's irrelevant. All you know is that they have unsurpassable worth in Christ Jesus. You no longer view them in terms of the moral competition game. Your referee that's always evaluating whether you agree or disagree, whether they're more moral, less moral, whatever. You just crucify that referee and now you see them in terms of the love of God. You know that Jesus Christ died for them and you ascribe to them unsurpassable worth. You do it in word, you do it in deed, you do it in every way, shape, and form. And that's the only thing that matters. It's a radically different way of doing life, doing relationship with others. You, you have no interest in the, in the social status competition game. You have no interest in the you know, economic uh, uh, competition game or any other competition game. To, 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 to die to self and to walk in love means you begin to see past what other people see and you begin to see what God sees and that's the worth of every individual. The beautiful prism that they were made to be. The way that they can refract the light of God. You begin to appreciate their individuality as they are and you begin to affirm the potential that they have there in Christ Jesus. You, don't, you look past all the reasons they might give you for not loving them. You look past the, their thinking processes that you might disagree with and you see as God sees, you see the inherent worth that they have because of the, as shown by the fact that Jesus died for them. They have unsurpassable worth. You look past the exterior and see the interior. To walk, to die to self and to walk in love means that you believe the best in, in everyone. You hope for the best in everyone. Paul says this explicitly in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You believe the best. You hope for the best. You strive for the best. You work for the best. Your, your, your fundamental job in life, here's how you shine. As you're, as you're dead to self and walking in love, you, you, the way you shine is by uh, calling out the, the, the shine of other people. You believe the shine in other people. You know how God has made them. You know what Jesus Christ has done to save them. And now in every way, shape, and form, you just want to ascribe to them worth, and that calls that worth out. To die to self and to walk in love. And hear me on this one. Because this is so radical. It's to treat every person on the planet as royalty. Because they are made in the image of the Most High God. Maybe they don't believe it, they probably don't believe it, but maybe therefore they're doing a lot to try to suppress that. Maybe there's a lot of mud on this prism but you know what? You can see the prism and you see the potential that is there and you treat them as royalty. In fact, 
to walk it, to die to self and walk in love is to treat, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as though you were them. That's what it's saying. To die to self and to walk in love means you actually treat other people with the respect and the dignity that you would give to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. I don't know if the church has ever internalized this truly. I doubt I have internalized this fully. But listen to this. I was hungry, Jesus says, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you gave me some clothing. I was the one who was sick and you took time out to care for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Yeah, I was, I was that criminal in there that you visited. The people that he's saying this to, they say, Lord, when did we do this to you? Uh, you know, I, 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 we didn't see you personally. And then it says, the king answered them, the king, the king of the universe. This is the outrageous loving king. He says, I, truly I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. God, oh Holy Spirit, help us to internalize this. God so identifies with the people he has made. His love for them is so strong that he considers what is done to them stuff that is done to him. You might say it like this. God, when he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, it's because that's how he loves. He loves his neighbor, if you will, as himself, to the point where what is done to them, he considers as being done to him. And when you die to self and walk in love, you begin to see this. You begin to love your neighbor as yourself, and you begin to respect them as, as people uh, who God so strongly identifies with, he considers your treatment of them treatment towards him. Whoa, does that change stuff. You know, I really believe that one of the, the greatest privilege of, of, of being a, uh, a disciple of Jesus is that we have the opportunity to, uh, in every way possible, communicate to others who they really are. Because most don't know it. We ourselves don't usually know who we are, but we're learning. But to walk with the goal of communicating something to people about how much they are loved by God, as they are, how, how much worth they have, how the king of kings sides with them, identifies with them. Uh, our attitude towards all people is, is, is to express the, the, the longing that they become to realize that they are made to be rulers on the earth. They are made as kings. They are made as princesses. They are made in the image of God. A, they are made in all of their uniqueness to reflect the glory of God in, in a unique and beautiful way. Do you have any idea how precious you are to every person on this planet? We, we, we can say that. Uh, do you have any idea what your worth is? Do you know that God paid the ultimate price for you? Do you have any idea how valuable you are? Do you have any idea how uniquely and wonderfully you have been made? Do you have any idea how the Savior wants to have an have a absolute loving, vibrant relationship with you? Regardless of what on the outside they give us to tell us that they're not that. To, to die to self and to walk in love is to walk with a new set of spectacles and you collapse the referee, you collapse the competition game and now you see what maybe they themselves can't see and that is the unsurpassable worth that they have. Two years ago I spoke with a lady, met a lady at a church who just became a believer and 
she had she she had been a crack addict who actually had had sold her baby uh, to support her crack addiction. And, and uh, I have the privilege of being able to, in whatever way, say to her, you know, that is forgivable. And it doesn't affect the, this truth, that you are a beautiful, you are a beautiful creation of the Most High God. And God is so close to you that what is done to you, he considers is done to himself. You are a princess. And see, at, when, you, when, you, when you treat people this way, you call out, you call out, out from the mud, some of that prism. Just by, by uh, communicating to them with your deeds, with your behavior, with your respect, with your dignity, you call that out. When I honor this lady who sold her baby into crack as though she was Jesus Christ, when I love her as though I was her, well, that, that, that does something to her. It's communicating some truth to her. Do you have any idea what your worth, what your value is? We are to see Jesus in the face of all people. When you die to self and walk in love, you begin to see this. You see Jesus in the least of these. In so much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Jesus always had a special heart to the least of these. The ones who were losing in the competition game. The ones who were on the outside. They were the ones who were most open to receiving this new life. This non-competitive life uh, that he had to offer. The ones who are winning in the game, they tend to hold on to their winnings. But the ones who are on the outside, they're the ones who tend to uh, be more open to this. That's why Jesus said that the uh, prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to go into heaven before the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't impressed by by that saying, by the way, uh, but, but it's a true thing because the Pharisees are winning in the religious game. They're, they're the heroes here. The prostitutes and the tax collectors aren't. Jesus gravitated towards them and, and, and they gravitated towards, towards him. He had a heart for the least of these. And so also to die to self and to walk in love is to have a, your, 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 the spectacles on for the least of these and to see that it is an honor on our part to be able to serve them, an honor on our part to be invited in on their life. The church is called to be the servant of the world, to replicate what Jesus did for the world. We're called to do that to everyone we come in contact with. It's an honor to rake your lawn. It's an honor to wash the foot of a prostitute. It's an honor to, to be invited in to fix up the home of, 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 of a, a person who's, who's poor. It, it's an honor to do that because in doing that, you're honoring the king. It's as though you're doing it to the king himself. And to die to self and to walk in love means we walk with those kind of spectacles on. We see Jesus in the face of everybody. Especially those who are on the outside of the religious competition game. Has the church done a great job, or what, of, of, of being the best in the competition game of the religious world? Where uh, our shining is at the expense of other people. But in fact, if we're disciples of Christ and not disciples of religion, we walk with a totally different set of spectacles. Next gay person you meet, know this. You treat them as though they were Jesus Christ. Love them as though you were them. Uh, and consider it an honor to in any way be considered their friend and to serve them and to wash their feet and, and to befriend them and to be invited in on their life. I really believe it's true that until you've washed the, the foot of a person metaphorically now, uh, for a long time you haven't earned any right to speak into their life. Our job is to love. Our job is to serve. We, we get that referee out of the way. We get, that referee gets in there with all of its knowledge of good and evil judgments and stuff and it blocks the love from happening. Crucify that thing and wash Watch the explosion of love that happens in you. 
We are to, uh, uh, the next street person you see, uh, know that you're seeing Jesus Christ. Treat them as you would Jesus Christ. Love them as, as, as though they were you. Uh, the, the, the homeless person, uh, you treat as Jesus Christ, respect as Jesus Christ, love them as though they were you. Put yourself in, in their position. Have an eye for the least of these. Uh, the, 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 the mentally challenged person that so often is easy to miss in the world competition game. That's just a bother for, for people to hang around. No, it is an honor on our part to be able to spend time with this person and we treat them with the royalty and dignity of Jesus Christ himself because he bears and she bears the image of God. And the physically challenged person that's so easy to overlook and, and just sort of bypass. Well, put yourself in their shoes. How would you want to be treated if you were them? Honor them. Consider it a privilege to in any way, shape, and form serve them. And so it is for all people that are on this planet. We are to love all people with the love of Jesus Christ and uh, respect them as though they were Jesus Christ and to embrace them in love and to honor them in love, to help them shine in love. Uh, the, the atheist, uh, honor, the, the atheist, Love him, treat him like, like he was Jesus Christ. Love him uh, with, 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 with the love of Jesus Christ. The atheist, the, the neighbor on the block who's hostile to you. Uh, you know, the, the person in your life that's the most unlovable. Do a reframe, get rid of the competition game. And consider it an honor to serve and to love them. To, to, to die to self and to walk in love means you no longer see the world in the flesh. You no longer see the world just in terms of how it affects you. You see the world in terms of how it affects others. Because how it affects others, you consider as affecting you. Why? Because you love your neighbor as yourself. You love them as though they were you. You see? And, and, and it's a totally different frame. This is why. This is why. For, for a, a, white, a white believer who is, has crucified the flesh as walking in love, black issues aren't just black issues. No, no, they're my issues because I love my neighbor as myself. And so discrimination against blacks is discrimination against me. In fact, it's discrimination against Jesus Christ himself. So I will in love passionately do everything I can to reverse that discrimination. Amen? And injustice towards Native Americans and, and, and towards Hmong, uh, towards uh, Asians, other, uh, other non-whites, uh, that's not just their issue, that's my issue because I love my neighbor as myself. What happens to them happens to me. What happens to them happens to Jesus Christ. And so I, in love, will do everything to enter into solidarity with them to get rid of that discrimination and that, and that injustice. Because all discrimination and all injustice sur suppresses the royalty, suppresses the dignity, suppresses the image of Godness, if you will, in each of those persons. And by siding with them, by entering into them as though it was you, you're calling out the, the royalty of being black and the dignity of being Native American and the beauty of being Latino and, and, and uh, whatever other people group that you're talking about, the way you express that is by entering into, that, into it with them. And if you don't know about the injustice and discrimination as a white person, because as a white person, it's likely you don't because it doesn't affect you. But see, to die to self and to walk in love means I'll make it affect me. And so you go out of your way to learn. Yeah, build bridges and enter into dialogue with people to learn their stories, their side of life, as though it was you. And, and, and read, read books on it. We've got plenty of books out in the, out in the gathering area about, about, about these kind of issues. Because if it doesn't affect you, you're probably not aware of it. Most people aren't, aren't really aware of it. But to die to self and to walk in love means you become aware of it. And it's not just the big issues like those. It's, it's the little issues. To die to self and walk in love means always walk around asking how does it affect other people? If you were them, how would you feel? It means to walk with empathetic eyes. As you leave here and are in the gathering area, look around. 
Is there a person all by themselves? Maybe they're visiting. How would you like to, if you were the visitor, how would you like to be treated? Treat them that way. Maybe it'd be nice if someone would go over and say, hi, how are you? Uh, if you see a, a single mother having uh, issues with their, their children, how would you put yourself in their shoes? How would you like to be treated? And to enter into that. To, to, to die to self and to walk in love is to have an eye. You can't do it with all people equally. We only have so much time to go around. But when you walk with these kind of spectacles on, you begin to see things. God will lead you to see things and say, enter in. Now is the time to treat, to treat them and serve them as though they were me. And to love them as yourself. And that's how the kingdom of God is going forward. On your block, in this, with any kind of consistency, to the point where it's no longer just something we occasionally do, but a people that we are, the only way that can ever happen is by dying to self. Crucifying that old, pathetic, competitive referee of self-interest self. And when you do that, to the extent that you do that, you begin to just look around and begin to see the world differently. Now you're in that triune cycle of loving God, therefore loving myself, therefore loving my neighbor as myself. And that is life. That is freedom. That is joy. That is peace. That is the purpose for all of creation. And it is so freeing. It is so freeing. That old competitive self is so bondage. This is, so, this is what life is all about. It's just, it's just joy. Let me end with this. I... Uh, an illustration of this, I think, if I could use something from my own life. Two days ago, I, uh, being, as I was being interviewed, that, and he told me this a little bit ahead of time towards all of this. And he says, I'm going to push you, and I want you to push back. I, I want you to, and I became clear that his, his, one of his goals was to get me riled up. And maybe, uh, he said this has happened, uh, people put hands on him and try to cast it to Italy in the Catholic Church. He's very Italian. Uh, he speaks Italian. He's, uh, he's, he's only been over in the States here for a couple of years. But uh, uh, he um, was brought to this exorcism that, that totally screwed him up, traumatized him. He had behavior problems to start with. This totally traumatized him. Figure out his life to try to, you know, make sense out of it. Is demon possession real? Is God real or whatever? So he's going around the world. He has, he's interviewed the top uh, exorcist in the Catholic Church, the person who's in charge of all exorcisms. Uh, he's got footage of uh, an interview with the Pope. He, he didn't do it, but, but someone on his team got audience with the Pope. I don't know how they did that. Uh, and he's been all over the world. Anton LaVey, and just, you, you name it, he, he's interviewed it. And in the course of this interview, uh, I don't think I was giving him the juice he wanted. And so he starts pushing harder and harder and harder. And finally, at one point, he says, okay, look, here's the bottom line. I don't believe in God, but if I did believe in God, he would re, he, he, he'd be repulsive to me. I would hate him. I would despise him because I hold him responsible for everything that's happened on, on this planet. I hold him most responsible for what's happened to me. My life is effed up and it's his fault. And I blame the Catholic Church and I blame the priest and I blame my parents for all that they've done to me. I blame them for the abuse that, that's happened to me. But most of all, I blame God. I'm not going to pin it on Satan or any kind of demon. I blame, the priest doesn't care. The church doesn't care. And in your view, God doesn't even care. Well, who's paying for this anger. You are. You're not making the world a more just place by staying angry. You're making it a more unjust place because the abuse continues to define who you are. You got to let it go. You just got to let it go. And, and if you will accept that there's a God who will, it doesn't mean that, that what happened was fine, God, but you trust that God will take care of this. You recognize that Jesus died for you to cancel the debt on your behalf, and that empowers you to cancel the debt on other people's behalf. And as I was talking, I, I saw his eyes begin to well up with tears. And I bet to this, I bet to, to he'd deny it, but his eye, in fact, he put the camera in front of his eyes so I couldn't see it. 
because he noticed that I was noticing. So he put the camera in front of his eyes. It, it was hitting him. And it felt so good to be freed from the competition. I don't need to push back on God's behalf. God can defend himself. My job is just to love this guy, to communicate to him something about what his worth is. I doubt that will make it in the final editing process. I, I, I don't think that's quite what he was looking for. But we, we got to spend a long time afterwards talking about forgiveness. In fact, he began to ask me, well, how would you go about doing this? And it opened up a door. And it was like, do you know what an honor it is for me to be able to, to be invited in on your life a little bit here to say something that maybe will help you to shine in life. That's our walk, saints of God. Die to self, walk in love, and, let, and, and just live out the radical, radical implications that that has in our life. It changes your view of everybody at all times, in all situations, no ifs, ands, and buts, and it's life itself. When you die, if you lose your life, you will find it. Would you close your eyes to pray? And I'd just like to ask this question in closing. If, is there anybody here who um, has never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And you need to do that. And maybe now for the first time you're realizing that you've been living for yourself. You've been living in competition with God. You haven't had a relationship with God. And you know that if you're ever going to be free and enter into full life, you need to do that. If you're here this morning, if there's anyone here in that situation, I, I'd like to... It would be an honor for me and an honor for us to pray with you. Would you just stand up where you are? Anybody here at all? Would you just, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Jesus died for you, and I'm just asking you to stand up for him, to be bold about it. And, and, and we'll just pray a prayer with you. Anybody here at all? I'll give it another second. Just stand up where you are at. And you say, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Just stand up where you are. And we'll, we'll just pray for you. Okay, I'm going to hope, believe the best that everybody here is, has a relationship or maybe you're here and you're just not ready for that. If you are here and, and, and you're interested in that and going a step further, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come up here and at the, to my right there's a table where a, a lady would be happy to explain to you what it is to surrender your life to Christ and how to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, as I pray, could I ask the prayer team to come forward? And uh, if you have any need that you want to linger over and, and pray for, I want to encourage you to come forward and, 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 and uh, spend some time praying for that need. But let me close in this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord, that you help us to crucify that old, self-centered, fleshy self that gets in the way of life. Father, in Jesus' name, free us to be Jesus towards people and to treat people like Jesus. God, we are so incapable of this on our own. Oh, no, I can't do it. So, Father, free us to be the outrageously loving people you've called us to be, to enter into that life that is true life, so free, so full. Life as you intended it to be, Lord God. As we go out into this world, help us to, to all people at all times and all situations communicate the royalty that they are because of who you are. Help us to shine in your light. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. The altar is open. I encourage you to come forward for prayer. God bless you guys. We love you.